welcome to the Executive Real Estate Investing Show. This podcast is for you, the busy business owner or executive looking to create generational wealth. Here, we're going to show you how to do that through real estate investing, from multifamily to industrial and everything in between. You will become a real estate investing expert. And now, here's your host, Michael Holman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Executive Real Estate Investing Show. As always, I'm your host, Michael Holman, and today we have a very interesting show. So we have Isaac Bennett, a little different. You know, I feel like I've been saying this, a little different from a lot of like the core, you know, group of guests that we oftentimes get in the show, which is interesting, right? What I love is he's looking at alternative assets as a whole, right? I mean, he's even, he's got, he's got uh, recording rights, right? He's got the rights to songs, he's got all sorts of things. Uh, and I love it. It's really interesting. And what you find is throughout this conversation that develops, right? He has this very fundamental way. He's looking at the principles of certain assets and he is going to drill and, and, and he doesn't ever specifically say it through this interview, but what you find is if you listen to it, and I'd almost recommend listening to it twice, you see that there is this really specific investment principles that he is following on every deal, right? Whether that's whether that's owning the rights to a to a popular song or whether that's investing in real estate. So I love, right? He has figured out what it is that he wants to do. He's made his plan and he's sticking with it. And it is fantastic, right? I love that about Isaac. I love that about the conversation. So really excited for the interview. As always, before we get started, though, want to remind everyone, go hit subscribe. If you're liking the real estate, if you're liking the advice, go ahead, hit subscribe. You get this every single week. We do one a week. <clears throat> comes out on Mondays every single week. It's fantastic. Also, leave us a rating and review. And lastly, go out and check out executivereishow.com. Lots of great stuff there. And lastly, before we get into this interview with Isaac, we are going to have today's executive tip. So today's executive tip is to find what you're best at, right? I don't even care if you do anything with that right now, but I want you to identify what you are better at than everybody else in your specific field, right? Just, just find it, right? Because once you find it, once you recognize that, once you realize that you have this thing that you are just better at than everybody else, that's when you can start honing in and start making that a business. And Isaac actually is going to talk a little bit about this and it's really, really good. So that is today's executive tip. But without further ado, we're going to get right into this interview with Isaac Bennett. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Executive Real Estate Investing Show. As always, I'm your host, Michael Holman. We have a very special guest with us today, Isaac Bennett. The thing that I love about Isaac that I read right off his bio when we were talking just a little bit, sales, right? He has a lot of sales experience. And one of the things that I honestly, truly believe is that anyone who's going to be really successful in business has to have some level of sales skills, right? They have to, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a business owner, you do not have to be a VP of sales to need sales skills, to need to be able to sell yourself, your brand, your product, whatever it is that you do. It's really, really important. So I'm really excited to get into this with Isaac today. Isaac, welcome to the show. Michael, it is my pleasure to be here. I'm really excited. And I love your background. If you guys aren't, if you're listening to this, Michael is sitting in front of the most beautiful, scenic, snowy, mountainous landscape. It, it, and it's just amazing. So I'm, I'm super impressed already. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that's, you know, Utah, we have a lot of mountains out here. 
and it tends to snow a lot. So it's perfect. I'm glad we framed that up. I mean, we were just talking, you know, people who've watched it on YouTube probably have seen it, but if you've only listened, right, we, we have the, the mountains behind us. And it, at one point I was debating, do I get a virtual background or where do I go? And I thought, you know what, just make sure the, make sure the shades are up, have a window open and, and uh, let everyone see the mountains behind us. It's perfect. You nailed it. I appreciate it. Well, Isaac, uh, love, love for you to introduce yourself to myself and the listeners. Yeah, so my name is Isaac Bennett, as Michael said, and um, I've got about 16 years of sales experience in a variety of executive roles and otherwise. And about a year ago, my wife and I felt called to start our own brand holding business uh, to really uh, push forward the things that we were doing entrepreneurially from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. and actually give it our best hours. And I got to tell you, like, it was a terrifying move, but um, we're so thankful, so thankful that we did. It's been an amazing thing. So our brand is called U-R-Y-O-U-A-R-E, and then all of our agencies beneath that are just uh, suffixes of that prefix. So we have you are well, you are home, you are abundant, you are secure, and you are good. Awesome. I love it. Well, would you take just a second and maybe explain all the different URs? I sure will. So the idea here is that we um, we want to touch every portion of people's lives that we're passionate about and believe that you need to have sort of a, a good holistic life. Um, so you have you are well, which is all health and wellness. We have a director of that who is a, a dietitian and a personal trainer, and she's helping people in that regard. So that's um, all about health and wellness. We have you are home, which is our realty business, which my wife runs. It's a broker through EXP. You are home. We have okay. you are secure, which we. Yeah, which we've actually got on the back burner right now, um, which is a Midwest dealership of a, a cybersecurity solution um, through Intrusion. And then we have UR Abundant, which is probably what we're talking about today. That's our alternative asset syndication business, which I run. And then we have UR Good, which is purely philanthropic. We give 20% of our net income back to charitable and missional organizations as we, as we have profit. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Well, you know, one of the things that I've, I've seen and kind of a theme through people who come on the show is this idea that, um, right, we talk about business, we talk about real estate on this podcast, but this idea of a, a broader view of life than just that, right? How oftentimes the things like our health and our wellness actually have a big influence into, you know, our real estate business, uh, you know, whatever other business we're running. So I'd love to get kind of your thought process, right? I mean, you, you started all these different brands. Talk to me about why you started uh, so many at the same time versus, you know, maybe saying, hey, I'm going to start this one and then this one and then this one. What, what kind of drove you to say, hey, we need to start multiple brands here? Yeah, well, I think the idea is that it was one brand with um, a flywheel effect of the agency surrounding it. So I think it's important to understand like where you are came from. And what I really found is that I'm not particularly motivated by money. I'm much more motivated by helping people and leaving a legacy. And, and that sounds like maybe a little high and mighty. And, but I guess I've just found that the money doesn't do it for me. It's really the impact that you can have on others that I find interesting. And so you are was, was birthed from this idea that if I was trying to lift somebody up, um, you know, I found myself always saying you are first. So I might say, Michael, you are really enthusiastic. Or, you know, I would say to my five-year-old niece would say, Colin, you are beautiful. You know, and so I found that it was really difficult to actually encourage someone or exhort them without first saying you are. So each of these agencies are things that we're passionate about. For instance, I'll give you one example. You are well, I, I had a, a, a two decade long struggle with 
um, depression and uh, suicidal thoughts, really, really, really dark, really dark and addiction and other things. And finding my way out of that to health and wholeness is um, it's a passion project of mine. So it was almost like I couldn't start a business if I didn't have a component that helps people with their mental and spiritual and physical health. So I knew that like, it wouldn't be a whole business if I didn't have that. So that gives you an idea into the thinking kind of. Yeah, no, I, I love it. Right. And I think that that's so important, right? Because as, as you start these businesses, as you get going, I mean, this is something that even uh, I can tell you, like me myself, right. I'm dealing with right now is things are just so busy, right? Yeah. I mean, on everything that I find that there are some things that at times struggle, right? Like oftentimes health and wellness is usually one of those things that's like, well, I got so much to do. I, here's four hours of sleep for the next week and which I know isn't <laughs> right. You know, it's yeah. not how it yeah. should be, but it's so hard to kind of take a step back and say, no, this is this is, this is important. Right. And it means a lot. And so I love this idea that you're looking at things, you know, holistically. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's funny that you use sleep as an example, because you mentioned sales in the intro and the first, uh, well, 10 of the first 12 years of my career were traveling internationally. I traveled over 50 countries. Um, I was uh, jet lagged pretty much my whole life. I had horrible sleep patterns and, and I found, I found that really, um, really a, a vicious cycle with my depression and you know at one point when I left that job I said you know what I'm not doing that anymore and the, the one thing I will not sacrifice is my sleep so eight hours a night I don't care what else is going on I do it every every night and um, it's eight hours and I, I never sacrifice that and I, I have to tell you I feel like a different person that's that's awesome well I'm gonna start taking some of that some of that advice Isaac <laughs> I uh I'm not getting as much sleep as I would, uh, as I would like to admit right now while talking to you, you're making me feel a little sheepish, but I love it. Right. So it's, it's super, super important. Well, one thing that I kind of want to back up to, right. Cause I kind of talked about it in the intro. We talked about sales. You have had this sales career. I'd love to, for just a second, cause so many people struggle with sales, right? I mean, you have a lot of people, for example, they might be really, really great at a certain trade. They might be really great at a certain business, right? They're getting a business started, Sales always yeah. seems to be one of those things that is just a struggle, right? And so I'd love for you to talk just a little bit about your sales background, right? Where, where, who, what did you sell? What were you in sales for? You talked about traveling internationally. I'd love to yeah. just get a quick background of that. Sure thing. So I, um, right out of high school, I actually got my first sales job. Uh, so I was working 70 hours a week or so selling cars, new Chevys and Sobs. And I did that for two and a half years. So you can imagine being an 18 year old, really fresh faced. I looked like I was about 15 trying to sell cars to like 65 year old curmudgeon farmers in central Illinois, you know? And so I think I, I think I probably got like a ridiculous life education in a couple of years there getting treated by people who didn't want to be talking to you in the first place about sales. So I did that first, learned a ton, had a ton of fun. And then I went and worked for a, um, a company that sold mining products. And so I was there uh, international sales manager and then sales director eventually, and um, just traveled my entire career for 10 years overseas. So you name it, pretty much I've been there and done it and you know, all these different languages and um, unbelievable experience, learning culture, learning how to deal with different people, learning what worked where, what didn't work where. That was really interesting. And then my last job, I left that in 2019. My last job was two years as the vice president of sales for sort of a mid-sized manufacturing company that sold parts to companies like Caterpillar and John Deere. Um, so 
that was more of an executive role, a little bit different, but it, I mean, you are so right. Like if you can't sell, then you better have somebody on your team or a partner who can sell a vision and sell an idea. It is, I don't think you can have a successful business without it because it's so intertwined with marketing and customer service and all these other things that you really have to understand. Complete, completely agreed, Isaac. Well, and I'm going to put you on the spot here for just a second, right? Because you have this phenomenal sales career. And I'm going to ask you to take all of it, bundle it all up for a second, right? And spit out just a few of what the things that you've learned over that 16 years that you think could help other people who are maybe struggling with sales or maybe just getting started or, you know, people who aren't necessarily these experienced salespeople, what advice would you give to them? Two things, two things. First of all, you have to touch a lot of people. And I don't really specifically mean cold calling because cold calling is a bit of an art. That's a different thing. I mean, intentionally getting yourself in front of high impact people in whatever your lane is and making sure that you're doing it every single day because one leads to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And if that's outside your comfort zone, lean into that. Because when we find things outside of our comfort zone, that's actually where gains are made. And it's just like lifting weights. You know, the gains are made when it starts to hurt. <laughs> and this is, <laughs> this is what I would tell anybody is, is you have to be in front of people, even if you don't feel like you deserve to be, even if you have, um, you, know, you know, if you're, if you're an introvert, I'm an introvert, believe it or not. <laughs> so that's that's the first one get in front of a ton of people the second one is counterintuitive and is the single most important life lesson and sales lesson is stop talking about yourself stop talking about yourself in the end sales you should be asking questions 90 to 95 percent of the time about the other person, about who their kids are, about what they're doing, about their business, about their life. Let If you can get the other person talking to you and feedback, immediately you're going to be more likable, immediately. And you're going to learn and know things. So many salespeople, even some successful people, they just run their mouths constantly <laughs> and nobody likes it. So stop talking and start asking really good questions and listening to the responses. I love that. Well, and, and to kind of add off of that second point that you made, right? Not only do you become more likable to other people, but when you start asking questions, you start actually understanding what it is their needs are, right? I mean, yep. anybody who's been in sales understands that they we've all had that moment, right? That we just, we made the assumption on what that person needed and what they wanted, and we were like, oh, we just went in to connect the two, right? And we we're blasting them with all this good information, right? It's perfect. You've had the polished pitch. Everything's good. Only to come out later and find that what you were trying to talk to them about was not relevant. They didn't care. That wasn't the driving factor, right? And you don't know that unless they tell you at some point. Right. So love it. I think that's phenomenal. Yeah, so right. I mean, the, the way to boil that down is to be interested, not to be interesting. And the most interesting people are the ones who are most interested. So if you start recognizing that you're trying to be interested in what the other person is saying, you will find yourself being incredibly interesting to those people. It's, I hate the term, but it's a cheat code. It really is. Be interested. Be interested and you'll find yourself, yeah, surrounded. Well, you know, we just basically outlined one of the uh, uh, one of the points in how to win friends and influence people right there. Yeah. I love it. So we pretty much just summarized it. And and it's true. Right. I mean, the point that they it make there, true. too, is be genuinely interested. Right. You can't mm. it can't just be for a show. Right. People can see right. through just like 
the courtesies or whatever. Uh, but you have to be genuinely interested in whatever that other person's talking about. So fantastic. So anybody who's getting started in business, who's been in business, who feels like sales is one of those things that's kind of constantly an issue or a struggle, listen to what he's, listen to what Isaac's telling you right now, even go back and, and re-listen to it because those are things that will exponentially help you. And even Isaac, you mentioned, right? You're an introvert, right? Talk, how, how did you find a, how did you find a role? Most people, when they think of sales, they do not think of introverts. And, and surprisingly, I actually have a number of friends in sales and, and a lot of them are, are introverted. How did you make this connection between sales and introverted and navigate through that? I don't think when I was 18, I was young enough and dumb enough and naive enough to not really know <laughs> who I was. I mean, I had no clue and still learning. Right. Um, but I, I think it was like, Oh, you know, you're friendly. You can talk to people. You, you'll be in sales. And um, it probably wasn't until much later that I realized that it took a lot of energy from me talking to people because I was an introvert and then I just embraced it and realized like, well, look, this works this way is, is ask questions, let other people do the talking and it zaps a lot less to your energy. So there's just sort of a natural <laughs> overlay. And then as I went on, I found that like the best salespeople that I knew, they got in front of a ton of people, but boy, they listened, they asked questions and they listened and, and generally introverted people are better at doing that anyway. And I think especially for extroverts and I'm not getting extroverts down I love extroverts. I love being around them, but you have to check yourself. You have to check yourself and make sure that you are to your point, that you are intently listening and actually engaging the other person and not just dominating the conversation. Does that make sense? Absolutely. hundred percent. And as a, and as a cold blooded extrovert, that is something I constantly <laughs> struggle with in my life all the time. So I hear you, Isaac. No, I, I appreciate that. I think that's fantastic. Well, Isaac, one of the things I'd love to do is switch gears just a little bit, getting into some sure. of the real estate, right? Because uh, you talked about, I mean, two of those two of those segments, right, of your brand were focused on real estate. You had a real estate agency, uh, and you also had a, a syndication company, right? What what real estate are you currently investing in right now? Yeah, great question. So we um, we've done a lot of deals, and. Um, Primarily, we've been the, the either the sole owner or the, lar the syndicator, the largest shareholder, the GP. We've managed all these deals in our career. And we're making a transition right now. Um, I had a really good wise friend who's a season ahead of me tell me like, hey, you know, if you were to focus on one aspect of this, what areas do you think you're the best at? I said, well, I think, I think we're probably the best at... Um, knowing people, understanding who's credible and who's trustworthy. And I think we're uh, good at doing due diligence, know a good deal when I see it across many asset classes. Um, and he said, that's what you need to do then, figure out how to make that your business. I said, okay. So that's really helped me hone into this idea of, we wanna connect investors with the best operators and vet those deals for them. And then negotiate, because we're bringing large checks to deals, negotiate better terms with those A-plus operators because we're bringing a lot of money. I'll give you one example of a deal we just did. Um, yeah. And he's given me permission to talk about this. So uh, our partner is REM Capital, who some of your listeners may be familiar with. That's Robert Ritzenthaler, who's now a good friend of mine. Yeah. And, you know, we just partnered on a 772-unit uh, multifamily deal in the Midwest in some really nice growing cities that we like in the Midwest. You know, so we acted as an intermediary. We brought our own syndication to that deal, got advantage terms for our investors. And, 
you know, our, we don't charge any fees. So we're not here to scalp. Like I'm, I'm an asset guy. I am not a commission guy. I'm an, I, I want to own an asset. So our, uh, you know, our compensation for that is on the GP side. So we're taking the risk right alongside with everybody, but we're not charging our investors fees, right? So it's purely value add for them to come and work with us. That's one example of something we're doing. And then there's a number of other ones that we can get into, but I'll leave the answer there. So it's not too long. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I love it. So you're telling me that you're going across uh, multiple asset classes. I'd love to just kind of get a broad stroke of, you know, what are those asset classes and where are they located right now? Yeah. So we're opportunists. Um, you know, as you look at markets right now, they can go from pretty reasonable to very expensive in a flash. And I think we've seen that happen specifically with self-storage. And we're starting to see it more and more and more in mobile home parks too. They're, they're becoming a much more competitive. Multifamily has been very popular now for six or seven years and it's gotten really expensive. You know, so we, we're looking at some other areas. Like we invest internationally in Belize with high-end resort property. And there's mm -hmm. very specific reasons that we're there. If anybody's interested in Belize, reach out to me and I can educate you. Uh, a year's worth of education in an hour. Probably. <laughs> so there's a reason to be there, but we like that space a lot. Um, I'm working with a, a a private tech company actually as a partner to help them raise money for their business. And I'm like, this company is uh, unbelievable. The, the upside is unbelievable, but you never know about it without the right connections. We're bringing investors to that deal. That, that the upside there is just staggering. Um, so it's a, it's a private market deal. Um, we're working on uh, an oil and gas deal, which is it's pretty interesting right now. Um, we have invested as an LP in mobile home parks, uh, even though I think those are getting more expensive. That was a year ago that we did that. So, you know, across several assets, royalties, um, we own music royalties and, and can find some pretty solid deals in there as well. So it's really underwriting. We're looking at deals all day, every day and tossing out, you know, 19 out of 20 of them, not even looking at them. But uh, you, you're finding that gem in there that could be that could be really, really interesting. Another example, I, we're, I'm starting a business in the post-frame building industry, which is blowing up. So there's a value-add business there that I brought a partner to. So alternative assets in general, we love real estate, but it's getting harder to find really good deals there. And so we've, broad, yep. we've broadened our scope. I, I love it. I, you know, one of the interesting things is you talk to people, right? Um, some of us real estate, some of us real estate people get our head in the real estate sand a little bit. Right. And, and it's hard to pull ourselves out. And it's one of the yeah. things that, that you often hear from from some people. And I think it's really wise advice. Right. I love the broader alternative assets. Right. And people don't realize uh, a lot of times when you go out in the world. Right. Uh, and you're dealing with big institutions. Right. You get these syndicators, you know, that are, that are kind of fresh and they're thinking real estate, real estate, real estate. They don't yeah. realize that that real estate is is an alternative asset you know, by definition, right. And, and that a lot of those, you know, institutions, they are classifying real estate, the same as they classify, like you said, their private equity investments, you know, their other, their other investing strategies, um, which I think is really interesting when you start looking at like that, because these alternative assets, these private markets, you find that, that there's a lot more room and potential opportunity, right? It's, it's, which is, which is really good. Right. And there's a lot of great things about that. It's just less regulated. So I think people get a little more nervous surrounding private investments. Has that been your experience as well? 
Yeah, there's more of an educational hurdle there. Most people understand real estate, at least at a, at a deep enough level to, to really get it. But what I'm finding is that you can set yourself apart by having ideas other than real estate. There's a whole lot of people who do multifamily. And if you've got a couple things in your bag that you say, I'm going to really learn this sector and I'm going to underwrite it and I'm going to figure out what a good deal is compared to a bad deal. First of all, you become way more interesting to people. You know, just like, you know, we've done four deals in Belize and just that fact make people go, he's coloring a little bit outside the lines here. We <laughs> know him a little better. It makes a huge difference. So one piece of advice I would give people is, is do one thing that's different than everybody else is doing. Even if it's a 1% of your portfolio, go do one thing that you can talk about. Like for instance, here's another example. We own Willow Smith, Will Smith's daughter. We own the rights to her song, Whip My Hair. Dumb song, maybe very popular, still plays all the time. We get paid a lot for it. Like, it's also really interesting to talk about when you go like you're at a wedding and you request a song and people are like, what? You're like, yeah, we own this. We're getting paid. <laughs> you know, fun, fun to talk about, fun to talk about. But, but you know, that is a great uh, party starter right there, right? If you ever need something to talk about, you, you just brought a whole new idea. I might, I might have to go look into something. Cause I need to, I need to start that small talk, right? My wife's really good at small talk. <laughs> I'm really good at big flamboyant talking. Once, once I get going, it takes me a little while to get going, but it gives you, that gives you a party starter for sure. I love it. Well, and, yeah. and I, and I think that that's interesting. Right. And, and Isaac, honestly, this is something that I've taken to heart too. Right. Cause there's so many, uh, like you said, there's a lot of multifamily syndicators out there. Right. I mean, there's just, there's just is, and it's kind of growing at an exponential rate as multifamily continues mm-hmm. to go up. Right. And so, you know, specifically I look at like our business, right. And we, we had this idea uh, about three or four years ago, right. Cause we've been in development for a long time, right. That that's kind of been our bread and butter, but you know, it's hard when you start, you know, back in 2019, 2018, it's hard to not start thinking, man, we could get a lot more, you know, let's, let's zero in on multifamily. It'd be a lot easier to get to 2000 units if we bought existing rather than uh, developed, right? I mean, because if we go out and buy them, right, the financing is easier. It's usually, you know, oftentimes we get on recourse, you know, there's all these benefits. You don't have to spend two years building the thing. And so we, we honestly thought about that. And we actually, uh, we actually had a, I remember sitting there in a meeting, right. With all the partners and we were looking around and saying, is this something we're going to pursue? And we actually said, no, we went the opposite direction. And we said, no, because what sets us apart, what makes us different, what we're really good at is development, right? We like new development projects. That's what makes us good. And that's been like the best thing we've ever done. Once we finally let go of all of those things that really didn't matter and that didn't fit what we were good at and what we liked and what we wanted, all of a sudden things took off like crazy, right? And it's been a really fun ride ever since. So I love that you're talking about this because sometimes people get, people kind of get the the shiny object syndrome, right? Where they just want to bounce around a thing to thing or they see something that's working really good. So I love that you're talking about that right now. Well, what you centered on is something that, so I, I say that like 95% of people should not even manage real estate. Like you shouldn't go buy onesies, twosies things. Most people should not do that. They should invest passively with a great GP. You are touching on something which is ground up development of which 99.9% of people should not do because it's enormously hard. It's like trying to hit a 96 mile an hour fastball in the outside corner. Nobody can do it except five people, right? And if you're one of those five, you have the ability to focus on that and 
exponentially grow that. And by all means, you should do that. So, so your ground up development is my due diligence and underwriting. Exactly. Right? Because I, I, we cut our teeth reading guys like Howard Marks and John Hussman and uh, Jim Rogers and guys like that in the equity markets where what we learned is how to evaluate businesses across every spectrum and understand what makes them tick and go. And so I spent 15 years doing that on my own. And then I recognized this applies to syndicating too. So I need to be the guy that connects the right people with the right underwritten deals. And that's, that's my ground up development. You know what I mean? That's yep. my specialty. So I, I think we're on the same page. It's just, you have to find what 100%. that lane is for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. So anybody who's listening, right, whether you're wanting to get into real estate, whether you're wanting to, you know, grow your business, I think this type of advice is the thing that can help you get there, right? I mean, sometimes yeah. people just get too, they don't, they don't zero in on the things that they are really good at, right? Right. And that, that sometimes can drag you down. Oh, I, I love it, Isaac. This has been a really fun conversation. Uh, we are going to start to kind of wrap things up here a little bit. There's two questions that we ask everybody who comes on the show, uh, you included. So first question, Isaac, what is the best business advice that you were ever given? So I kind of already led into one of them. So can I give a two-part answer? Am I breaking the rules? You, you can give as much or as little <laughs> as you want. The more, the okay. more sage advice you want to give to everybody, we'll take all of it. Three-part answer then. Three-part answer. <laughs> the first one is the one I've already said. So I, I just want to reiterate, to be interesting, you must ask questions and intently listen. And if you can make that where you're an 80 to 90% question answer and then intently listen, watch your career and your life soar. Your relationships will soar. That's the first one. The second one is buy durable assets. You know, the wealthiest people in the world, they don't think about cash flow. They think about the durability of their asset. And I'm not one of the wealthiest people in the world. However, that single piece of advice, which is a Tony Deaton piece of advice, buy durable assets. And when you think like that, you start to think differently. And so if you plant that in your mind and think, is this a durable asset? And I will, I will tell you, most multifamily, especially built since 2010, is the opposite of a durable asset. Depreciation is not just a line item on your balance sheet. So buy durable assets. And the third one, and this has protected me so many times that it feels like a proverb or something, is position size. And you should become an expert at position sizing your portfolio using some sort of beta adjusted system, whatever that is, whatever that makes sense in your mind. And I'm happy to talk to people about that if they want to know how we do it. But you need to position size in such a way where your maximum downside does not take you under. And I think that that has saved me. Uh, I mean, it saved me more times than I care to admit, both in equities and in, <laughs> in, uh, in other things. We've never lost money on real estate, but part of that is tailwinds, structural tailwinds. Um, so I, I would tell people that if they can if they can put that into practice, understanding position sizing in their portfolios, it will dramatically alter not just your safety, but it actually improves your upside as well. It's a strange fact, but it does. All right. That was too good for us to not talk at least a little bit about uh, on both of those. So first thing I'm going to say is on your point number two, define what you mean by durable assets for everybody. Well, I think it's different for everyone. I, when I think of a durable asset, the first thing that comes to mind is gold. Okay, so now I'm not telling people to run out there and, and buy a bunch of precious metals. However, I do own a bunch of precious metals and I have strong thoughts about the best way to buy them and the best way to invest in it. 
I think that we have been inculcated in this idea that money is something dramatically different than what it actually is. And I, I'm not sure that most people really, truly take that to heart. When I measure the value of things, I measure them against something that has a something of a fixed denominator like gold. So for instance, when I'm looking at the Dow Jones or the S&P 500, I measure Dow to gold or S&P 500 to gold. That's the way I think about it because there's a fixed denominator there. And then, you know, you get into some people are like, well, it's, you're always thinking about it in in dollar terms. Well, not necessarily. I'm thinking about it in ounces terms, right? Some people are putting Bitcoin in this place. I would say way too early for that, way too early. We need to see more Lindy effect on Bitcoin before we go there. So that's durability. Another thing that's durable, something like farm ground. Farm ground is super durable. Older property that has really wonderful structural integrity that is, you know, can be retrofitted with newer fit, fit finish, electrical, all that kind of thing. But it has really durable. It's going to last a really long time. Unfortunately, we don't make stuff like that anymore. And so that's a bit of a problem. I love land. I love covered land plays. I love mobile home parks from the standpoint that you're making a ground play. You're, it's basically a covered land play, right? Um, mm -hmm. So all of those things are durable in a certain sense. I think there are some equity companies that are really, really durable and capital efficient. Coca-Cola is a really durable company. Hershey's is a really durable company. Um, there are countless other examples of, of durability, but something that is counter-cyclical, anti-fragile, all the other buzzwords that you can find out there are kind of a lot now, but they matter. They really matter and you should seek out things that are durable. I love it. All right. That was fantastic. Isaac, I feel like you and I could get offline and have like another like four hour conversation. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, you, you're yeah, you're speaking sure. my language right now. All right. Well, okay. On that, on that third one, right now, I got to even remember what the third piece of advice was because I wanted position to talk about sizing. that. Yes. Position <laughs> size. Thank you. Okay. So talk to me just, just a hair, right? Just a moment. Tell me about position sizing. What do you, what do you mean by that? Cause that's a term that I'm sure, you know, 90% of the people who are listening to this show probably look at it and say, I don't know what he's meaning. He's talking about betas, right? What in the world is a, what in the sure. world is beta? Isn't that a fish or something? Right. T just <laughs> tell me just a little bit, just let us dig in just a little bit enough to get somebody so that they have a very broad level understanding. Yeah. And I think that uh, if you, if you want a reference to go read somebody, uh, somebody like Porter Stansberry talks about this a lot. Dan Ferris talks about this a lot. And I, I've gleaned a lot of my information from them over the years. I, nothing of which I talk about is, is uh, unique to me or anything like that. I'll never take any credit for any ideas because I'm just standing on other people's shoulders constantly. Um, but when I talk about position sizing, you're talking about, okay, when I'm establishing a position, and let's talk about this from an equities standpoint, right? So say you have a $100,000 portfolio, and you're going to go buy a stock, and you're thinking about how to risk adjust that against the rest of your portfolio. You actually back into this by thinking, how much am I willing to lose on this stock? And you think, okay, I'm willing to lose $1,000. I'm willing to lose 1% of my uh, total net worth, my total portfolio on this stock. That means you can lose $1,000. And then you think, okay, how far am I willing to let this fall until I am going to sell it and I'm going to hit that? Say you're willing to let it fall 20%, right? What would that mean? That would mean that you can make a $5,000 allocation to it. So if you allocate $5,000 to it, that's 5% of your portfolio, which is a big, 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 uh, pretty big position. Mm -hmm. You can lose, your stop should be at 20% because then you're going to be down a thousand bucks. That's your risk-adjusted position sizing, okay? That's one way to look at it. Maybe you say, I think my stock could be 50%. 
then that changes the calculation, right? So then at that point, how much can you, how much can you risk? Risk $2,000, that's your position size. So when you think about it in paper assets, which I rarely do anymore, but if you think about it in paper assets, that's the easiest way to define what that looks like. And what I would suggest is that no matter what you're buying, you should always be thinking about that risk adjusted beta in your portfolio to say, how much can I lose? If this goes really poorly, if it doesn't cash flow for a while, if, I, if my assumptions are wrong, my performance, my underwriting is wrong, how much am I willing to lose before I have to cut bait? And that's what I've sold. And so when you start thinking about like that, when you start thinking in bets like that, that's a good book, by the way, Andy Duke, Thinking in Bets. When you start thinking like that, it changes the entire perspective of how you invest because you're not breaking rule number one, which is don't lose money. Don't <laughs> lose money. That's rule number yes. one. That's rule number one. And so I, I think about everything in that way. Where beta comes into play, the higher a beta, the more volatile it is against some other measured basket of whatever you're comparing against. Yep. And then it, there's mathematical calculations that can take you to saying, basically, if it's twice the risk, you should risk half as much to get to that same type of level of what I'm willing to lose. So I try to at least figuratively think of everything in some beta adjusted way, which is, Okay, I'm buying farm ground. This is probably 0.5 beta. Okay, I'm buying resort resort property. This is two beta, right? So I understand how to position size it with the rest of my portfolio. Long-winded answer. I'm really sorry. I apologize. No, I, I love it. And, and what it is, it's giving people a broad perspective, right? Because these are things that oftentimes, right, in, in a 30, 60 minutes, you know, whatever time that we have together here on this podcast, it's hard to really dig in, right? I mean, these are people can spend years learning about these things, but they're really important things. And so I love that we've just kind of opened up the curtain a little bit for people to go, huh, this is interesting. I've never thought about, you know, the, the type of asset I'm buying and the riskiness level of it and how that should affect how much I buy of it or how little I buy of it. Yeah. So I love it. I love that we just opened up the curtain. Fantastic, Isaac. All right. Second question, <clears throat> like 10 minutes later, that's okay. I think you might've taken the record for the best business advice that we've ever, we've ever <laughs> wow. which I'm Thanks. honestly, you're welcome. I, uh, I prodded that out of you. So I appreciate that. Okay. Uh, second question, what uh, real estate investing advice would you give other business owners or business executives? Um, be careful not to overpay for yield, especially in place yield. Um, I think a lot of people, especially these days, are buying cap rates, and that's not going to end well. If it's ended well, they have to get lucky, to be honest. And, um, I, you know, I'm still a structural believer in real estate for a long time here. I think we're structurally underbuilt. It's going to be good for a long time. You're going to do really well developing for a solid another 10 years, I think. But be careful buying yield, especially if you're in a, you know, single tenant industrial commercial type thing that can disappear overnight. And then all of a sudden you're sitting on something that has zero yield. What, what did that going in cap rate mean? Now, nothing, nothing. It meant nothing. So probably don't ever buy on a cap rate. You want to buy on um, the ability to improve a property or improve a situation, improve the business, improve something, and then sell on yield, sell on cap rate. So you want to be selling on a multiple while you're buying on a business theory um, because real estate is ultimately all about adding value to something. And, and I think even ground up is that way, right? You're, you're ultimately adding value, you're improving something. Um, and so I think that's the big thing that people, that people struggle with is they buy yield and y yield can just change so fast. Yep. I, I completely agree. So sound, sound advice for those who are looking, right? I, I'm seeing a theme here, Isaac, as we've talked uh, that you definitely have a focus 
And there's a specific, even though you have these broad assets, right? You have this broad number. There is a very specific focus that you have uh, in your investing strategies, right? That's become abundantly clear, right? The, the words like durable, right? The words like risk adjusted, right? Those are all things that are popping up time and time again, right? And you're seeing, I'm, you just see this theme, right? I mean, if, you, if you're listening to this show and you go back and you listen to it again, right? Let's say you listen to it twice. I think you're going to see what I mean, right? That there's these themes, right? How you can, you can be invested in 20 different types of things, but all of those 20 different types of things have the same core uh, mechanics, right? The same core uh, uh, I keep wanting to say belief, but that's not the right word, right? But but at the core, they're very similar. You know, the, the principles, the reason behind the, the investing is very similar. So I love that. All right, Isaac, we're yeah, going to wrap definitely. up. How can people get a hold of you? So um, I'm active on Twitter, Isaac C. Bennett. Um, our website is A People Brand, which is our tagline. Companies you are, our tagline is A People Brand. So A People Brand forward slash investor is where you can go sign up and come talk to me if you want. Um, email me, Isaac, I-S-A-A-C at A People Brand. Feel free to do that. And if you want, Michael, to put my phone number in the show notes, you can text me or call me anytime. I'm I'm easy to access. I like to talk to people. Despite being an introvert, I do like to talk to people. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, feel free to feel free to reach out anytime. I, I love these types of conversations. So th th these conversations give me life for sure. Oh, fantastic. Well, we'll get all this in the show notes for anybody who's interested in getting in touch with Isaac. Isaac, thanks for being on the show. I'm so happy. Thank you, Michael, for having me. It's really fun. Thank you for listening to the Executive Real Estate Investing Show. Ready to learn more? Go to executivereishow.com for more episodes and resources to help you create generational wealth through real estate investing. That's executivereishow.com.